in the book, I talk about laziness and procrastination. These are another, you know, more two words that have a negative stigma. They're associated with bad behavior. But you can also think of procrastination as deciding when is the right time to act, not whether to act or not. Sometimes it's better to wait and watch the situation. Sometimes things sort themselves out. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Hello, Rebel HR listeners. Thanks for joining us this week. Very excited for our guest today. We have Jenny Upal. She is no stranger to driving contrary and innovative thinking. With 20 years of experience driving transformational growth by challenging norms in business is key to her success working with Fortune 500, telecom, e-commerce, and retail companies. She has recently released a book called In Action, Rethinking the Path to Results. And uh, she, we are going to be talking a little bit about hustle culture, burnout, and why reflective thinking and strategic inaction is a better and healthier path to success. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kyle. Well, I'm extremely excited for the conversation. And the the title of your book was really what caught my attention. And so before we hit record, I was I, we, we were kind of just discussing the podcast and, and, and discussing your book a little bit. And my question was, how do I pronounce your book? Because it's, it's like in dash action. So, so how did you arrive at writing a book on inaction? That's a great question. The title can throw people off and it is uh, partly by design. Usually if somebody uses the word inaction, you tend to associate it with inertia or paralysis out of fear. What I'm talking about in the book is we, which is the collective we, we have gone too far in favor of acting without thinking. And we actually make more mistakes because of our action bias than if we were to pause a little bit. And if we pause, then creative ideas come forth. We underestimate the power of a thoughtful pause. Strategic inaction simply means inaction out of choice not inaction out of fear. And that is what the book is about. It's about getting results, but trying a different route. Um, As you pointed out, I have 20 years corporate experience and I consider myself very action-oriented and I like being on the go. Um, I never liked those downtimes in my career if they ever happened, you know, in between major initiatives. I found myself in one such downtime during the pandemic. And Kyle, as I was reflecting on my own life, It occurred to me that even though I have made pivots and big bold moves, which I could associate with, hey, I took action, I did this. But before every big bold move, there was a period of what I would have called downtime. I don't like being in those phases, but I can now, it made me question the correlation. Is it action that leads to progress or those moments of downtime, thoughtful pauses, I changed my mind, needless to say, as I wrote the book, and the result is here for you to read. <laughs> That's really fascinating, and and it is counterintuitive to what you know us in the corporate world have really been brought up to to think like. You know, the 
But but what you just described to me, what's interesting about it is it's not about doing nothing. It's about being intentional uh, before you act. Am I understanding that correctly? Correct. It's about being thoughtful in your pauses, being a bit strategic and choosing to think of the pause as an opportunity for inspired thought to come through. So it's, it could be part of your strategy. And a lot of people, leaders I interviewed, they actually have made it part of their, their corporate plan and their strategy. And they, they attribute that to be the reason for their success, which is your right counterintuitive. It's hard to even talk about that I did nothing, which is why I was successful. I'm just thinking about this and, and it, it's, it's funny because I've, you know, I'm reflecting on my career. And I remember I, I started my career in retail. So it was like, you know, there was never a free second. I mean, you were, if you thought that you had a, a time to catch your breath, a uh, customer needed something. <laughs> and so you, right. you know, it, uh, regardless of whatever, whatever role you were in, if the customer needed something, you just dropped everything and helped. And, but it, it was always like, um, it was always like your hair was on fire. And, um, it wasn't until I was later in my career and I was in a different role when I realized how kind of de destabilizing that was. And in the moment, you know, it's like you think that you're doing the right thing, but you're actually just kind of swirling. <laughs> right. So, so as you were writing the book, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting is, you know, writing a book gives you an opportunity to really dive into these these subjects and really, and, and, and learn. So as you were writing the book, what surprised you? What, what takeaways um, maybe made you rethink your thesis? That's a, that's a good question. So I, uh, my nature, my personality could be described as, you know, go-getter, driven, determined. And whenever I run into a problem, my tendency is to double down work harder, like go at it, like put more effort into it, not less. Writing a book, this is about 40,000 words. It's my first book. It is quite a, quite a job and it, it, it kind of goes on and on or it feels that way. <laughs> at the same time, writing a book is very deadline driven. And I wrote the book from start to finish in a year, which is usually takes more than two years to write a book. So it was an interesting uh, challenge for me to be as I was as I was interviewing people and I was looking into research on why strategic inaction is helpful towards progress, I was trying some of the techniques I write about in the book. For example, taking a break. If I've really run into a problem, instead of spending three hours trying to figure this out, you know, write that chapter out, I would take a walk or I would give up, do something else, which is totally opposite of what I would normally do. <laughs> so I had to retrain myself to trust. But if I stop, just walk away from it, I'll come up with better ideas, either within a few hours or the very next day. Of course, it happened over and over again. But what was really challenging was it's like this muscle. Like you said, we train ourselves to always be on the go, always be on. Untraining ourselves takes a little bit of time, but not months or years. It's a very powerful detraining exercise that I had to go through. <laughs> Detraining. I love that. I love that term. <laughs> That's much better than like, you know, getting rid of bad habits. That sounds, it's, it's, 
sounds very uh very professional. A lot of it is unlearning <laughs> habits we yeah. have picked up. So yeah, you're right. I, I had never used that word before. It just came up. I love so it. You should trademark it. <laughs> trademark it right after this podcast. <laughs> but a lot of this is uh this is not about acquiring a new habit or a new skill. It's about just going back to our basics of we know how to take a break. We know how to do it. We know our mind comes up with good ideas. We just don't give ourselves a chance. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's really interesting. And this runs, you know, th- this theme seems to just continue to be inundated throughout our culture. And it's this theme of the hustle, the hustle culture. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, if you're not, if you're not moving forward, you're moving back, you know, and, and, and the minute you stop to take a breath, someone's going to knock you over and take your spot. And I mean, that was, you know, you go to business school, you're force ranked against everybody in business school. If you're not above a certain, I mean, I'm just thinking about all of the ways that our culture truly puts this, um, you know, this action bias into, um, our, our heads. And so, yeah, I mean, to not do that, almost feels destabilizing when you've been doing it for so long. And I think many people listening to this are probably sitting here thinking, yeah, you just described the COVID-19 pandemic <laughs> for right. HR people, right? Right, right. So, so what, what tactics work when we are, when we are kind of dealing with that, with the, that tumultuous drive to always move forward, even if we have no idea what we're doing or we haven't really given it any thought. What what tactics worked for you as, as you were working through that? We'll be back after a quick break. And so used to having everything in front of them right away that we forget that innovation just takes time. I, I myself, I get frustrated too. Why? And you know this as being one of my best friends is, Hey, I talk to you all the time. Hey, man, I'm frustrated in the fact that I can't seem to just get there in Mm -hmm. the next day. But that's just not how these things work. Right. Innovation needs to be planned out. It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits, that's when it seems like to everyone else that it, it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know, the amount of dedication that it took over that time. I'm going to talk about this one uh, tactic that I came across, which surprised me. Um, if I say, if I use the word mind wandering, Kyle, what comes up in your mind? What do you think of? Like, is that a good thing, bad thing? Wandering. Uh, uh, mind my immediate, wandering. Yeah. My immediate reaction is daydreaming. Daydreaming. Right? Like, like you're, you know, not doing anything productive. You're just off in la la right. land. Right, right. It's a distracted mind. That's usually what one thinks of. And that's what I thought of as well. Mind wandering means a distracted mind, which means I'm being unproductive. I'm not, I'm not producing anything. Interestingly, I came across research, neuroscience research from an American psychologist, uh, neuroscientist, excuse me, Marcus Reichel, going back 20 years. And he made an interesting observation that when our minds are not engaged in an activity, which means I'm working or reading news or listening to music, there are parts of the brain that fire up that are called default mode network. When the default mode network is active, the mind has a tendency to connect the dots on information it has been collecting all this time and come up with creative ideas. Think of the aha moments, like you've really been 
thinking hard about a problem, a HR problem or a people problem, giving your mind that break, literally 10 minutes, half an hour, whatever you can find, it connects the dots. Now, before I wrote the book, I was in a job which was very high stress. And I remember I used to feel so burnt out during the day that I, I remember my executive coach at that time saying, why don't you just leave the building, go away for half an hour and then come back. I used to find it very difficult to do that because of, you know, the habit, like you're on the hamster wheel of just doing. I remember back then I used to do that occasionally because I was not sure that's a good idea. But during writing the book, I started embracing that because now I have neuroscience to back it up. (laughs) (laughs) That is technique. The more, again, counterintuitively as it sounds, the more stressed out you are, the more difficult the situation is. Try giving yourself a half an hour break, 10 minutes, if you can't find half an hour, but truly give yourself a break. Don't listen to music, even if it's relaxing, and see what that does to your mind. Yeah, I could use some of that advice. I'm, I'm one of those, so I'm a, I'm, um, a failed musician, but I love music. <laughs> and so, but I, so um, I, I always have something on the background. You know, and it's like, and when it, when it's, there's not something in the background, it's, it's destabilizing to the point that I have I actually have like a sound machine in, in my room so that I can have, you know, so that there's something going on in the background. Um, but it, it's, what's really interesting about what you've described is to me, it almost sounds, it sounds like, um, it kind of the concept of, of, you know, like, like meditation, right. Or like transcendental meditation where you get, you get to a point where your, your, your subconscious or your unconscious mind actually helps solve problems because you're not, you're, you're present and you're letting your, you're letting your mind actually, uh, work. Um, am I on the right track there? Close. Yes. A lot of people find meditation intimidating. I have a meditation practice going back 2008, so I can swear by its benefits, but a lot of people I speak to, they don't have, it's not a habit. It's not, it's still intimidating. And to my happy discovery, which is why I was like, oh, mind wandering always gets a bad rap. But in many ways, at a neuroscience level, both meditation and mind wandering, and I looked at a lot of studies, they do something at your brain level for it to pr- start producing ideas so that you're not the one forcing yourself to come up with ideas. But it's just that we forgot how to give ourselves a break. Like when we were children, children are creative. You know how they zone out. They stare into empty space. They are naturally meditative, you could argue, when they're quiet, when they're quiet, that is. <laughs> when? Yeah. When, when is that? I don't know. <laughs> My kids aren't ever quiet. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, it's really interesting. And so, and I, so, um, you know, to get a little bit personal, so I have I've interviewed so many extremely talented, super smart people, and when we talk about things like stress management, what comes up time and time and time again uh, over the last hundred or so interviews has been meditation, or listening to yourself, or mindfulness, or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. But there, you know, there is that, you know. Th- there's something to that. There has to be, or, or so many smart people wouldn't be right. Be talking about it. Um, and, uh, it's something that I actually, so just, um, I've been doing it now for 50, 
55 days now. I think my little app has been tracking it, but I've been going through kind of going through that journey um, every morning. And it's, it was really hard at first, Uh but I have found the, my, the, the strength of my resolve in the decisions that I'm making now at work, just because I have kind of that quiet moment of mindfulness at the beginning of the day, I'm just, I'm just better. I just make better decisions and I don't go home as drained because I'm, because I am more, more present and aware, um, when I'm at home as well. So it, it is really interesting. It's almost like you're retraining, rewiring or, or detraining as, as you said, (laughs) some of those bad habits. So. Yeah. Meditation is exactly unlearning. And the reason why meditation is hard is because you're sitting there doing nothing and thoughts come up and you kind of feel like that's a distraction or maybe an itch on the body comes up or suddenly you become aware of the sound that you don't know where it's coming from. And meditation in many ways is the practice of being in observation, deep observation. And when that over a period of time, you develop that muscle that knows how to be in deep observation and not react prematurely. And that's what my book is about, is our tendency is to react prematurely in the, in the quest for control because we want a result. Whereas if you just thought for a minute, a few minutes, or even a few seconds of silence in a conversation, I have a whole chapter on difficult conversations, negotiations, confrontations, where the tendency is to talk each other down, just a few seconds of silence. And, uh, and this is an, a bit of an abstract concept, but like you said, the proof is in the pudding. Once you try it, you see that it makes a difference, then you're going to want to try more of it. Absolutely. You know, I think what's so powerful about, about this concept, and I'm just, um, I mean, there's so many situations as an HR professional where you feel like you need to fill the empty space or you feel like you, you do want to have that. It's like that quest for control because you want a certain outcome. And sometimes that outcome that you want is, is not possible through Mm -hmm. action. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to sit with it and, and, and work through it and, and, and be strategic about how you approach challenges. Um, so, you know, I'm reflecting on some of those situations where you, you just, you know, mentioned a, you know, conflict, you know, or, or, or very difficult, um, conversations. So, um, I have a tendency to fill the space, you know, that's just, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I, I talk too much, you know, that's, 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 that's my blind spot. Right. So for someone like me going into that situation, um, how do I have an, an intentional pause and, and, and what, you know, what does it take for someone that, that gets uncomfortable with, with empty space to, to reflect the, the power of inaction? What you can think of these pauses as is an opportunity to collect more information and data. You're a professional. I'm guessing people listening to us today are professionals, which means you have a job, you have, you you are strategic. I'm guessing you are in the sense you manage teams or you do recruiting or which means you, you have a logical analytical mind. So 
sometimes to people who are logical and analytical, and I put myself in that category, even though I'm an introvert, you've got to give yourself a story of why a pause is important. Then the story you give yourself is, the pause is an opportunity for me to collect more information. I, in the book, I talk about laziness and procrastination. These are another, you know, more two words that have a negative stigma. They're associated with like bad behavior. But you can also think of procrastination as deciding when is the right time to act, not whether to act or not. Sometimes it's better to wait and watch the situation. Sometimes things sort themselves out. So you can, these are like more logical arguments you can give to yourself if you, you know, you're not buying in the theory of inaction. <laughs> Sometimes it is about getting more information, waiting for the right information to come along. Oh, it took me a long time to learn that. I, I just, I, I used to, I remember that, you know, yeah, I grew up in that culture, like, like you have to do something. You have to do, you have to be taking some action or you are lazy or you are a procrastinator and those are all bad things and, uh, or you're not being proactive enough, right? right. If, if you're not driving an action, um, but especially in an HR role or, uh, yeah, even, even a manager role, sometimes the best thing you can do is, is hurry up and wait for, for something else to, to come to pass. And it's, I don't know what it is, whether it's, you know, serendipity or what but but more often than not when you <laughs> when you just step away and let and and just let the you know whatever the the situation unfold a little more a lot of times the action that you were going to take and just jump in and roll your sleeves up would have just completely mucked the whole thing up and you know that's that's definitely my uh my experience you know i i had a great mentor uh early in my career uh, his name's Chase. I don't know if he's a listener or not, but Chase, if you're out there, you know who you are, buddy. Um, and he told me this uh, when I was just starting out as an HR generalist. Um, yeah, he was like, "Don't, don't take an action until you absolutely have to." And this was in the context of like an investigation, right? Like, uh -huh. let's say that you're trying to figure out what's going on and make a good decision related to, uh, you know, something that could result in someone losing their job. Right. And, you know, it, it, and initially I'm like, this sounds like BS. I, I don't like this, right? Like this, this doesn't mess with, with, with how I'm wired. You should always be ready to take action and move as quickly as possible. And, and, and he kind of explained to me, listen, your internal customers are always going to be pushing you to make a decision quickly. Now I need to know now your job is to be that neutral party that helps make sure that everybody has an opportunity to understand the ripple effect of this decision, right? And and it took me a number of years of trying to force action before I figured out, oh, there is something to that. Maybe maybe we do need to take a step back here, and um, and and it is more important to get it right, especially with people decisions. We, we don't we don't know what's going on with other people. We only see a sliver of their behavior, especially at work. There is a story I share in the book, if I may, um, for about me as a manager. In the early years of my career, I had just become manager and I got promoted to director about a year apart. So it all happened very quickly where I just got people responsibility. And now I have you know two levels of people reporting into me just within a year. And uh, I was also transitioning to a role within the company 
So I'd been with the company for a while, but I was taking a new role for which I would be building a new team. I had inherited two people, out of which one, the decision was made by my you know, new manager that in the name of org change, we are going to terminate this role because you're building a new team and we have new skills we need, which sounded good on paper. So I agreed. Within a couple of weeks, I realized the person whose job was being terminated actually had a severe performance and behavioral problem. And on the one hand, it, it was legit and legal to terminate her role because of org change. You know, there's something, you know, there's something wrong when you haven't been truthful, you haven't given any feedback, mm-hmm. clearly all that had happened. And I remember talking to my the person I was reporting into and my HR partner, this is a performance problem. And they said, you know, the ship has sailed. Paperwork is already done. You're just joining this team. You just have to execute. This is not your decision to make. Long story short, I went with it. You know, speed matters, like you said, retail, e-commerce. And uh, I went with it. And uh, of course, this person was very upset. And then we found out some things about her life situation, financial situation, which was very distressing for me to find out that this person's going to lose their job. She left on very, very bad terms and, you know, swore I'll never shop with you again. Like we, we lost goodwill on that day. It taught me a lesson My instinct was, this is a performance problem. We weren't authentic to this person because it was truly, if it was merely an org change and no performance problem, we could have found her another job. We weren't truthful. So this lesson taught me to be transparent and to hold the fort, as in no matter how much pressure I'm under to terminate, if the reasons aren't legitimate, I simply have to find the I'll have to find the time or ways to negotiate for success because this outcome is not good for us either. It doesn't reflect well on the company. So that was an interesting lesson. Thankfully, I learned early enough in my career that it changed my behavior after that. Thank you for sharing. I, uh, you know, powerful, um, I think a powerful story that unfortunately many of us can probably relate to in human resources where there is a, there's a deliverable, right? Mm -hmm. And that deliverable means this person leaves this position in some way, shape or form. Right. But yeah, if you do that in a way that is, that does not have integrity and respect it's the most miserable thing you will ever do in your life, at least in my experience. And fortunately, yeah, I've only made that mistake uh, once. Yeah. <laughs> um, but early in my career as well. Right. Um, similar situation. But, you know, had I, um, had I taken the time to pause and, and think about this on a human level as opposed to, you know, my superior told me this person needs to go away. Here's all the paperwork execute. Um, you know, I, I would have, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I was having physical manifestations of stress up into, you know, I mean, there's a reason I have all these gray hairs <laughs> because, <laughs> because I wasn't, you know, I, I really wasn't true to myself. I wasn't true to the person that I knew I needed to be and the person that I knew my organization really needed me to be. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's tough. Yeah. And the the point I make in the book that this isn't just about doing the right moral thing or 
integrity. There's actually a direct correlation between taking the right action at the right time and results. So the book title is In Action, Rethinking the Path to Results. Normally, we think action will lead me to results. In the same company, almost immediately after this event, I hired a woman who was my first hire because I was building a team. And she was a wrong hire. Like, we didn't do a good job in interviews. Once again, the advice I got is that this is a six-month probationary hire, which is which was a norm at that time. And once again, I was told, you can terminate this person with no cause. So once again, speed is of essence. Here is a mistake, which, of course, I made this mistake, but I can undo with no ramifications very quickly instead of going through the performance process. But I just learned my lesson with the other, <laughs> the previous employee. And this time I said, no, I'm going to be very candid. I'll support this person. We will go through the performance plan process, even if it takes months. And I was very candid with my direct, the new direct report, the person I'd hired. And uh, in this case, because I was so committed to the new direct reports development, and I put out everything on transparently, this is what I can do. This is where I need you to pull your weight. This person, the new person I'd hired, actually opted out. In the sense, she realized this is the job is not a good fit. Not only did she opt out and left with a severance, she recommended somebody for my team, whom I did interview and I hired. She switched her career. She became an executive coach, which is what she wanted to do. Think of the results of this piece of action where I did not take the default route. I went through what could have been the longer route. But because I was recruiting a lot of people, this person sent me another person as a gift. It was taking me a very long time to recruit people. Clearly, we had made a mistake. So now I think of, that's what helped me understand that this isn't just about doing the right thing. Of course, we should do the right thing. But very often people, you know, your, your interest conflicts with reasoning. You can reason with people, with each other, but sometimes your interest or, you know, your interest being negatively affected will trump any, any moral argument. So the book and the examples and the stories I mentioned in the book are all about you get results. You get different results, perhaps better results. Don't underestimate the power of a thoughtful pause. You'll probably come up with a better idea. Well, and think about that too, because it's 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 so fascinating. I'm just thinking, you know, my recruiter brain turns on here, and I'm thinking, okay, so you could have terminated that person, then you would have had another open rack for however many months. Mm -hmm. But instead, you that person self selected, so the compliance hat on me goes, oh well, that reduces lawsuit risk. That's good. <laughs> and then right. the next the next step, they they give you a referral, you end up hiring that person. You just saved yourself so much time by treating that person in the you know in, in the way that was congruent with, with, with your experience. And, and, you know, it, had you not been thoughtful about that, um, you know, it, it would have actually taken longer, most likely than yeah. it actually took you. Right. So, yeah, for sure. I was struggling to, we were all struggling. We were growing faster than we could hire for. So finding talent was really difficult in those days. So yes, this was such a wonderful gift. And because she knew the culture, she knew exactly what she was walking away from. She was. She had. She had customized a person, <laughs> and that person, the the person I hired, the referral I hired, not only stayed, joined, and stayed for I don't know six years almost, and grew to senior roles. So it was a win-win-win. I would say. Perfect. 
So I did want to touch on one more topic, and I think we're especially seeing this right now in our workplaces. But as HR people, a lot of times we are kind of, you know, the, the support resource within our organization for people who are struggling. And I just, I, I've seen so many people who are caught up in that hustle mindset and getting to a point of burnout where, you know, I've had conversations with a number of, of, um, of people, you know, all over that are just like this close to crashing and burning because they are just Mm -hmm. burning the candle at both ends. So, so what's, what steps can we take as we are trying to help our employees understand this concept and just take a break? That's such a fascinating question, Kyle. And I'm hearing a lot about HR leaders trying to organize events inspired by the idea of taking a break or to lighten up the mood. Here's what, here's what I think. How an individual can take an effective break depends on the individual. As much as you can organize general tete-a-tetes or breaks, I think it, it's a good idea to encourage and remind people that your mental health is in your hands and only you know how to take care of yourself much more than we do. What this means is if you need to take a break on a Wednesday because you're feeling whatever you're feeling, then negotiate that. In the sense, empower and remind employees that you're not as helpless as you it might feel right now. And also the power of short breaks. Um, I... I'm a hiker of many years, and I don't know why it took me so long to realize, to, to find this analogy in my hiking. The longer my hike is, I realize I've got to take frequent and short breaks. It helps me go longer. And the more uphill the climb is, the more frequent my breaks become. If I don't take frequent and short breaks in an you know, endurance hike or uphill hike, then either I'll be exhausted at the end of the day or it'll take me days to recover because I'll be sore. Mm. So the harder your life is, as completely counterintuitive as it sounds, to some extent, we will not be able to put an end to 10-hour workdays. It may happen occasionally. You just have longer hours because of some project that has to go live. So don't wait for the weekend to take a break or your vacation to take a break. (laughs) Take a 10-minute break, go for a walk, sit and stare into empty space. These And these things you can, like the employee and everybody can control better than scheduling big, you know, events. <laughs> not that they are not important, but just reminding people shorter breaks, more frequent breaks, and you're in charge of your mental health. I love that. So um what I heard was, you know, the trust falls and that kind of thing, you know, maybe, maybe isn't going to take care of it for you, HR people. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think you have very, very powerful, um, g- great topic. I think it's, it's just fascinating to think about it. And com- somebody who I would say is a reformed, um, you know, hustle culture kind of guy, <laughs> Um, you know, for me, it's really hitting home on some of these topics that, um, you know, if you do get intentional about taking enough space and breaks and allowing, allowing things to unfold 
in the time that's available, you know, to me, um, sometimes that's the best thing that you can do. The best action you can take is no action. So, um, really appreciate the content. We are going to shift gears right now, um, and go into the rebel HR flash round. Are you ready? I am. (laughs) All right. Perfect. Okay. Here we go. Question number one, what is your favorite people book? When I started writing my book early 2021, um, a new another book came out by author Adam Grant, whom I like and follow a lot. And his newest book is called Think Again. And the title itself is so compatible with what I'm talking about, right? Like think <laughs> again. Like you think you think your action is what is making your world go around. Think again. Uh, many of his views are very compatible with mine. And I got in touch with him and I exchanged email. I wanted his input on the book. Um, so I, most social psychology books are fascinating to me because they help me understand how our minds work. Uh, and my book is more in that genre than anything. Um, so think again. I love that. Yeah. A- Adam Grant has so much great content out there. Had an opportunity to uh, see him live back when that was a thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, great, great, uh, uh great thinker. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, think again. So, a great book. I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that anything that teaches us how the brain works, especially when we're in the people business, most of, most of our interactions are with others. And, you know, if, if you're, if, if you deal with people on a regular basis, why would you not learn how that the, the hardware works, right? Like, like right. <laughs> that's what actually makes people tick. Right. So yeah, yeah I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So question number two, who should we be listening to? Right now, we are bombarded with so many experts and influencers giving us advice. I tell you, nowadays, I am not listening to very many people. Uh, I'm really trying to listen to myself. I, I And I strongly encourage, don't underestimate the power of your own wisdom. Just give it time to surface. Love that. Well said. All right, last question. How can our listeners connect with you? Um, so my website uh, is jinnyopal.com, J-I-N-N-Y-U-P-P-A-L.com. And there is a way to contact me. Um, they can also DM me on LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, my book is available now everywhere people buy books online. Um, so, and I love listening to people. I, I really would love to hear, you know, whoever heard the podcast today, what resonates or what does not resonate. Um, so there's a way to contact me on my website or DM me anywhere. Perfect. And we will have all that information in the show notes. So, so click in there, uh, check it out, get connected, follow Ginny. Um, the book is in action, rethinking the path to results available everywhere. So thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us and, uh, helping us rethink our hustle culture. Thanks, Ginny. Thank you for having me, Kyle. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests, Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.